Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. In your opinion, if there's a military strike, and I'll circle that word if, is it going to be a strategic pinpoint or is it going to be like annihilation of Iran? I think, George, President Trump would first do a very limited strike. I mean, there's clearly targets that can be hit that are military or related to the uranium production. The problem is many of these targets are embedded by Iran in civilian settings, including Tehran, the capital. So there will be casualties. There will be some casualties. The last strike that was called off by President Trump after the drone was shot down by Iran was going to be estimated to kill some 135 people. And President Trump in the last minute decided that was disproportionate. He didn't want civilian casualties when all Iran had done was shoot down a drone. No people were killed in the drone attack. Uh, I think President Trump's going to be very, very cautious because I'm, I'm convinced he does not want to go into a war, especially with Iran, knowing how quickly it can escalate. And uh, I'm in favor of that kind of caution. I, George, I've, I've been on your show now going back really to 2004, 2005, and I've yeah. always said that war in the Middle East is not the solution. It's part of the problem. We really don't solve problems by going to war in the Middle East. We just create endless wars and perpetuate problems, create new problems. And I'm, I'm pleased to see us, the United States, stay on the sanctions issue, economic pressure on Iran. I think that's the best chance of success. If there is war in the Middle East, how does that affect Americans here at home? What happens to oil? Of course, you know, we as a nation, we're the world's largest producer of oil right now. Would that affect us? What happens here, Jerry? Well, I think, first of all, George, we, we, would see, we would see oil spike if there's a war in the Middle East, because still a large proportion of the oil for the world is coming out of the Middle East. And the Straits of Hormuz have something like, I don't know, 20% of the world's oil passing through it daily. Uh, that's, part of, that's the narrowest part of the Persian Gulf by Oman and the United Arab Emirates uh, and Iran. That's the narrowest part. And um, oil would, would spike in price. Now, oil has not yet really spiked in price. The United States, it, and George, we've had shows on this going back that long when we were, I was arguing that oil is abiotic and plentiful. I remember more than 10 years ago on your show arguing that we would be the leader in oil production yep. once we got into the hydraulic drilling and the other techniques we're using now, shale oil. Uh, the United States really has the capacity to produce a lot more oil. And uh, I don't think that the oil issue is really as important at the moment with Iran as I think the the potential of an escalating conflict that has the unlimited potential to expand into a regional and global war. That's what really worries me. I think we can handle the spike in oil, but it will spike, and oil will go up to could go up to double to about $125 a barrel if there is any outbreak of violence in the Middle East with Iran. Jerry, how in the world did we lose a great friendship with Iran when the Shah was there? And please keep in mind, world, he was not a Boy Scout. He was not a good guy. Uh, and uh, that's one of the reasons why the Iranian Revolution tossed him out. But he was a friend of the United States. How did we lose that friendship with Iran where we were selling them fighter jets and everything else to where we are today? What the heck happened? Well, George, it's a 
complex. The certainly with Jimmy Carter's administration, when the uh, hostage crisis occurred, and Ayatollah Khomeini returned to Iran for a Iranian revolution. That was really the religious revolution, 1979, that changed Iran into being this radical Islamic country. Iran, previously under the Shah, had been very oriented to the West. The Iranian people had been modernizing. The Western influences were very extensive. But the history of the United States in Iran is complex. Going back to 1953, when the CIA overthrew an Iranian prime minister named Mossadegh, we've had CIA involvement in Iranian politics which remain a kind of destabilizing force and one that's never be, been forgotten by the Iranian people. Ah. We, we did interfere in Iran's politics in a major way in, that, in 1953, and it's remembered. Uh, I think the Iranian people today would like to um, eliminate the, 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 these religious mullahs who are ruling the country because they're very brutal on the people of Iran. And the people of Iran historically are... Persian, and the religion was Zoroastrianism, going back centuries, uh, the idea of, uh, of Islam coming into Iran is really a modern uh, um, innovation, with Iran being traditionally not an Islamic country, even after Islam came into the world. And one of the other problems with Iran is they are, without question, financing some of these terror groups and other groups involved, like Hamas and Hezbollah and God knows who else. Well, that's really one of the major problems, George. And I think the uh, one of the objections that, tr- that the Trump administration had to the agreement that was done by Barack Obama, and you recall we shipped them air- airplanes full of cash, cargo planes. We sent it with bundles, billet, you know, these big billets of cash, billions of dollars in cash to Iran. I still don't know why we sent Iran cash. It, it doesn't make any sense. No, I mean, it was ridiculous to send them cash. And I think the American military delivering that cash wondered what was going on. I mean, that's cash is, you know, suspect in the world politics as being for terrorism or for illicit purposes. Or drug money or something like that. Exactly. Or money laundering. I mean, you don't ship around as a government billions of dollars in cash and military uh-huh. cargo planes to Iran. Where, where did they get the cash in the first place? Was this from that black budget we we keep hearing about? Well, George, I don't know where the cash came from. I wonder that myself. I mean, it's never really been fully explained. And we don't have an accounting of how much cash the, uh, the, the Obama administration sent to Iran. How do we, we do even know. find out, Jerry, how do we even find out that we did this. Well, the the, uh, the military on these cargo planes took pictures of the cash <laughs> and put it on the internet. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> oh, what are we doing shipping all this cash? I mean, they took pictures of these, you know, uh, shipping billets, these, you know, containers really of cash all piled up in huge amounts, mounds of cash, all neatly organized, freshly printed cash. And the military said, what are we doing this for? At any rate, the money ended up, and to a large extent, funding from Iran, terrorism at Hamas in the Gaza, uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon, in Syria, the Revolutionary Guard in Syria, the Revolutionary Guard from Iran in Iraq. Iran has been, for decades, the leading sponsor of terrorism worldwide, and we've 
identified Iran as a terror-sponsoring country by the State Department, now going on to decades. And didn't any congressional committees try to follow up on this? Well, you know, George, I don't think it really got the cash sent to Iran really did not get that much of an investigation. because It, it didn't. I, I haven't heard much. No, the Democrats wanted to block it. It wanted to, make, to suppress this idea. John Kerry uh, was the one who negotiated as Secretary of State this agreement with Iran, and it was very much viewed, certainly by those like myself who were concerned about Iran, as really appeasement of Iran, paying Iran off not to develop nuclear weapons. But the agreement said in 10 years, this joint agreement that we had with Iran, in 10 years, Iran was going to be free to develop nuclear energy to a weapons grade. And Iran has started now to enrich uranium beyond the limits set in the agreement with Obama in 2015. They've broken those limits, which is one of the reasons President Trump has accused Iran of violating the disagreement. But, of course, we pulled out of that agreement. We said we're not going to respect that agreement any longer. So Iran is right now under severe sanctions, and the current pressure that we're seeing with Iran, all this trouble attacking uh, oil shipping in the Gulf, the problems with the British and this oil tanker that was seized from Iran in the Mediterranean, uh, the shooting down of the drone, all these military kinds of incidents are caused because Iran is trying to let the world know that they're suffering under this economic pressure of the sanctions imposed by President Trump. You know, as we protected Kuwait when uh, the Iraqis went in there and, and took over Kuwait, during the first Gulf War. Why isn't Iran smart enough to come to a country like ours, unless they don't trust us, and say, look, we are abandoning our nuke program. We want an agreement, uh, a trade agreement with you. We want a protection agreement with you that you'll step in and, and help us if anybody attacks us, and we want to be friends. Why can't they do something like that? Well, the, the critical issue with Iran is this zealot nature of the Shiite religion, the particular brand of Islam in Iran, which is that the this Mahdi that went down the well 300 and something A.D., one of the family of the the prophet, uh, who's going to be the legitimate ruler of of uh, Shiite Islam, went into hiding, and will only come out of the well if there is a worldwide apocalypse that will uh, trigger the Mahdi to come out of the well, and Shiite Islam to conquer all other forms of religion, including Sunni Islam. And it's that zealot nature of Ayatollah Khomeini's revolution in 1979, which has radicalized Iran and made it be a rogue nation supporting terrorism. I think the Iranian people would be happy to see the Iranian mullahs ruling the country to be overturned, or this, the zealot religious aspect dropped, because the people of Iran would like to see Iran be a, a normal country trading with the world and prospering. And Iran would prosper if this radical religion were not present in Iran. It's just, I don't see any way to remove it by a regime change that's imposed by the United States. This change has got to come from within Iran. Right. Now, the, does the military within Iran support the mullahs? Yes, the military does support the mullahs and the Revolutionary Guard and other 
paramilitary forces, like what they call this Bajij, and you'll see them when there's a green revolution or revolution in the streets in Iran, the Bajij go around in motorcycles, and they're paramilitary, and they beat people. Uh, the Iran has control of the internal force, the military, the Revolutionary Guard, the regime is in control of all the legitimate force. The people in Iran are disarmed and really vulnerable to being arrested, thrown into prison, killed, never heard of again, disappearing. Uh, it's a very dangerous place, Iran, to protest. Yeah, it, it sure does. And uh, in terms of a timetable here, Jerry, what is uh, what does your crystal ball show you? Well, I think, George, we're in a very critical period right now with Iran. In the next two to three months, every day has the potential to be another incident, another drone shot down, another tanker that Iran attacks, uh, another shooting incident. And if Americans are killed in one of these shooting incidents, President Trump is going to be pressed to retaliate. I uh, cannot allow American lives to be killed by Iranians or ships to be seized or other incidents that caused just such a shock. Uh, what I'm always concerned about with these incidents is the you know, the Tonkin Gulf, another false flag. Well, that's possible. And it's possible. And I think that President Trump is, is really, to, to date, exercising a kind of restraint, which I've not seen in American leadership going back to Lyndon Johnson and the Vietnam War with the Tonkin Gulf incident. All too often, American presidents have used these incidents as a as an excuse to launch a war, and then, and then we get into another whole series of problems. It takes another ten or fifteen years, and the war. That's the problem we've got right now in Afghanistan. That we've got in Iraq. You know, the Syrian issue. All the wars tend to expand in the Middle East, and they're never never ending. And I don't want to see us get into another war, but. Uh, I'm very, very worried, George, when you ask what the short fuse is. The next two to three months, <clears throat> we could easily be in an incident in with Iran that would cause a shooting war to occur. And like you say, the so-called, and I'm not trying to be funny here, the trump card is Russia. Yes, because Russia is in the background. Right now, Iran is working out a summit with Turkey and Russia to try to get economic assistance from Russia and Turkey to ease the impact of the sanctions. Uh, what we're trying to do with Iran is cut off their oil being exported. We're, <clears throat> we're basically denying them the use of, of U.S. banks and U.S. financial institutions, trying to uh, get countries who are now receiving exported oil from Iran to stop. Uh, China is also play a player here with buying oil from Iran. They're not going to stop. Uh, but I think the major issue is the summit coming up with Turkey and Russia and Iran could easily develop some new economic assistance for Iran, which would perpetuate the crisis. Well, and this is so ironic. Turkey was one of the reasons the Russians in 62 started to move missiles into Cuba because we had missiles in Turkey, and now it seems that our relationship with Turkey is strained more than ever. It's, that's right, George. In fact, part of the Cuban Missile Crisis that was kept secret initially was that uh, President Kennedy agreed to remove the missiles from Cuba, not immediately, a little bit after Russia. From, from, from Turkey. From, from Turkey. Turkey. From Turkey. So Russia first removed its missiles from Cuba, 
And then months later, President Kennedy removed our missiles from Turkey, which nobody really realized we had in Turkey at the time. I mean, it was known only by experts. And uh, when the United States removed the missiles from Turkey, it was not announced publicly. So at one point, going back to the 60s, we had good relations with Turkey. But the current regime in Turkey uh, is um, Erdogan has really been radicalizing Turkey. Turkey used to be a secular country with Islam. They were the caliphate, the Ottoman Empire, going back hundred, you know, a hundred years or more was centered in Turkey, and it was Sunni. And uh, Erdogan has really radicalized Islam, increasingly moving towards a more and more radical form of Islam. And, of course, Russia has a lot of Islamic population in various countries, and including the ex-Soviet Union, which are bordering now Russia. Um, you know, uh, Azerbaijan and all these other countries have very substantial uh, Muslim populations. And in Chechnya, Russia has experienced some very severe uh, Islamic terrorism. So Russia is very sensitive to the Islamic issue and uh, has always been aligned with Ayatollah Khomeini and with uh, the alliance between Russia and Iran, which is counterbalancing the United States' influence in the Middle East. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.